Hello again and welcome to AdTech Innovators. On AdTech Innovators, we speak to the people who are innovating in education and technology. And we're very privileged this week to have Aftab Hussein, who's going to be talking to us about artificial intelligence and campus digital assistants or chatbots. Enjoy it. on AdTech Innovators. Um, I'm talking to somebody who would be one of the first on my list when I consider um, people who are innovative in the world of AdTech. So I'm really um, privileged to be speaking to Aftab Hussein today. Hi, Aftab. Oh, hi, Pete. Great. So there's so much that we could talk about. It's, it's a shame we've only got um, you know, a, 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 a yeah, finite um, amount of time, but there's so many things that I want to take up with you. So firstly, I'll ask the question about Ada. Um, so, firstly, why Ada? Why Ada Lovelace? And what is this AI thing called Ada? Um, because uh, Ada is our campus digital assistant, if, you, if you're not aware of it already. Uh, we chose Ada as a homage to uh, Ada Lovelace. Um, if you're not familiar with Ada Lovelace's work, she basically worked with Charles Babbage in the early part of the 19th century on the uh, difference engine and the uh, analytics engine and she helped Charles Babbage with a lot of the mathematical work uh, that he was working on to uh, to figure out how these calculating machines would uh, support uh, businesses and the government uh, during the 19th century and Ed is an interesting one because uh, when she was first introduced to uh, Charles Babbage she was a, a young teenager at the time and uh, she volunteered to help him out with his work. And Charles Babbage, being the typical 19th century male, said, uh, you're a girl, what do you know about mathematics? <laughs> so, uh, Charles, um, so Erda proved him wrong. Uh, he asked various mathematicians to test her uh, and uh, she proved her worth. And uh, eventually Charles Babbage uh, asked uh, Erda to uh, support him with his work to do uh, the mathematical calculations that he needed to uh, work on these calculating machines. And in early 1841 or 1842, Erda uh, made her famous set of notes uh, where she uh, basically foretold or predicted uh, the future computing device, where she said that the machines that she was working on with Charles Babbage at the time, uh, which were single purpose devices, would be general uh, purpose computing devices in the future. And she was saying that whatever you desire of these machines, these machines will be able to do on your, at your command. So uh, she basically defining the modern computer, the modern mobile phone. And she was basically saying that these computers will do um, a whole range of uh, tasks on our behalf. So that's why we've named uh, our campus digital assistant after Ada, uh, basically as a homage to her. And I think she's a, a wonderful role model for uh, boys and girls uh, in schools and colleges and universities. And uh, it, and I think she's quite an inspirational figure in that regard. Yeah, of course, I'd like to think that that was coming through yesterday uh, during uh, International Women's Day. And I think that are your students aware of who she is? Is she are the pictures of her around college, around Bolton College? Yeah, like um, we always uh, put our image up on the screens and um, we also... Uh, can pose questions to Erda about her, her life. So a student could say, who, who are you, Erda? Where were you born? What did you do? Who did you know? 
um, how did you work with Babbage? What are you famous for? Uh, about her parents uh, and so on and so forth. So Ada uh, does answer questions about her her life uh, during the nineteenth century as well. Yeah, and Ada uh, is a lot more than just an Alexa type. A thing is she not or is it not uh, so for example if I'm 17 years old and I'm suffering from anxiety and I speak to somebody on reception because that would be really embarrassing and people will hear me um, how could Ada help me yeah um, very early days uh, with the Ada project we contacted the uh, mental health teams in our student services department um, and we uh, basically um, envisaged that students would be asking Ada about uh, well-being questions and mental health questions, and this was back in early 2017. So uh, the team was one of the first teams that we approached, and they basically curated uh, a whole bunch of answers uh, around well-being and mental health. So if a student said, um, "I'm feeling depressed," "I'm self-harming," uh, Ada comes up with corresponding uh, answers to those, uh, but her answers are. Uh, contextualised to the student, so uh, she'll say, hi Aftab, uh, um, here's some information about uh, this particular topic, uh, here's some local contact information that you could call upon uh, at the college, and also if you're calling out of office hours, uh, here are some uh, emergency numbers or helpline numbers that you can contact while the college is closed. Uh, but more, more importantly for the college, um, in, for certain uh, types of questions, the uh, safeguarding team is informed of those uh, queries. So, uh -huh. if, so if someone says, I'm being bullied, I'm, I'm self-harming, uh, um, and so on and so forth, uh, the safeguarding team at the college is pinged uh, with that notification. So uh, we've got the students, the ID number, the name, and the query that they post to Ada. And basically, the tutors then follow up with the student the following day and um, just gently approach that student and say, um, how are things? And uh, occasionally uh, the student has just saying, I'm okay, I just pose this question to Ed, I just wanted to find out some more information. Uh, but on, on other occasions, um, th that piece of information could be quite valuable because that student uh, did at the time uh, need additional support and guidance to support them. Mm. And uh, I'm assuming that this extends to, say, sexual health and family problems. I mean, is there any evidence that um, you are responding to this, these sort of diverse issues that young people are, are, um, are asking, asking for answers to? Yeah, yeah. So uh, when we approached the uh, student support teams, uh, we discovered that the uh, uh, types of uh, questions that they would answer face to face uh, with their students was broad. So we've got questions like, and being forced into a, a marriage that I don't want, or uh, a student could be talking about FGM, or a student could be talking about isolation and feeling lonely, uh, and anxiety about uh, exams and tests. So uh, there's a whole uh, array of questions that Ada can support colleagues around the college uh, with, and certainly help the students with. Mm. And so does that data come from um, actual questions that students at, uh, at Bolton or other colleges have asked, or is it, is it coming from Google, for example? Um, no, uh, when, um, uh, when students pose questions at Ada, we do uh, collect those, and we've got questions going back to April 17 when the uh, survey started. So uh, occasionally when a new question uh, drops in, 
and there's no answers to it, then uh, we will try to address that. But also, uh, when we first started off the Ada project, we asked uh, all the support teams for the top 20 uh, uh, questions that they've always posed. And that 20 questions soon turned into 30, 40, 50 questions um, uh, because uh, this team said after uh, we got lots and lots of questions that come in every single day. And these are the typical ones. If you can answer these, then you'll be really, really helping us out with student inquiries about well-being and mental health. Nice. Um... That, that that's that's great, and it, it's such a potential game changer. It, it, um, is are Bolton sort of leading the way in in the UK on this? Well, I mean, what are the colleges and schools uh, are thinking in the same ways as you are on this? Um, at the present moment in time, uh, 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 Bolton as an FE college is uh, alone in this regard, uh, but a number of universities uh, have also started to. Uh, build and adapt their own uh, campus uh, assistance. Like uh, Lancaster University uh, has got Ask LU, uh, Staffordshire University have got uh, Beacon, uh, UCL, uh, uh, their campus assistant is called Colin. So, um, uh, and we've got others that feel further afield like uh, Deakin University and uh, Arizona State University in America. Um, mm-hmm. all, all these campuses are starting uh, on this journey as well. But sooner or later, I think every child, every student, every teacher, uh, every member of the support campus support team will eventually have a, a campus assistant to support them with their studies or work. Um, I think that's inevitable. Uh, we, we take for granted having uh, Alexa at home to answer our day-to-day queries to support us with shopping and internet searches and so on and so forth. Um, and, and people are, do ask themselves, well, why haven't we got one for our school or for our college or for a university? I think over a period of time, uh, every uh, student will, and every teacher will have uh, access to uh, one of these uh, for the institutions that they're at. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the next section, as I warned you about before, after is um, I would like to call it stupid question, clever answer. So I remember uh, being at UCL and UCL talking about um, their um, virtual, well, virtual teaching assistant called Colin, of course. Mm. And of course, they often have these questions that may be stupid or may not be about replacing jobs. And you know, the, 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 what, what's going to happen is there's just going to be virtual assistants instead of real and um, human assistants in schools. Um, what, what would you say about that? Um, well. I'd, I'd like to draw upon the history here. Like um, uh, these uh, assistants uh, are relatively a new thing. They're, they stem uh, from uh, the work of academics and uh, internet pioneers back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and one of the uh, the main proponents of these digital assistants was a person called Norbert Wiener. Uh, and um, one of the things that he was said that. Um, as these services grow, as these um, network devices grow, uh, and as we uh, connect to uh, more and more databases, uh, the world suddenly gets more and more complicated. And mm. he basically stated that we will need agents to help us uh, reduce the level of entropy or complexity around us. And we would actually be conversing with these agents uh, to uh, find a pattern and um, uniformity and meaning in all, all the data that we have around us. So, and this is Norbert Wiener talking about this 
in the 50s and 60s, uh, well in advance of personal computing and, uh, and smart devices that we hold in our hands. Um, mm. um, there are other people like uh, Douglas Engelbart in the 60s. Uh, Douglas Engelbart is a, is a very famous uh, character. He, he used to work at the Augmented uh, uh, Research Centre uh, near Stanford. And he said that um, we need to have uh, devices, uh, we, we need to have better human-computer interaction. And he basically said that we will be communicating with uh, the computers in natural language. And mm -hmm. so, and again, these pioneers were talking about this uh, way back in the 50s and 60s. And then there are a couple of other uh, pioneers that came later. Uh, there was a, a guy called Mark Weiser and John Seeley Brown, and they were based in uh, uh, America. And they came up with this idea of, of uh, calm technology. And the best is that even though we live with a ubiquitous computing environment and we live with uh, computers and uh, services all around us, they will soon disappear into the background. And mm. we won't necessarily be dealing with a traditional graphical user interface. And their idea of calm technology meant that we could actually converse with our machines to get things done. Uh, so now, if you, if you look at the pattern that they're saying, so we've got Norbert Wiener and we've got Douglas Engelbart, Mark Weiser, John Seeley Brown, all talking about conversing with machines. And when you converse with, with machines, you're, you're, you're relying on them to help you but uh, that you're relying on them in such a state that they're actually uh, enabling you to do things. They're uh, giving you um, more power, more uh, autonomy to carry out your studies or your work uh, uh, on the campus. Yeah, and that, that true meaningful dialogue is really starting to happen and, and uh, gather momentum, isn't it? Um, here's a, a slightly stupid question, but an extremely well-written one by Ian McEwen. Um, in, I don't know if you've, you've read um, Machines Like Me. Um, there's a really nice quote I want to share with you about uh, the cultural effect of uh, the preponderance of, of machine learning, of, of, of robots, if you like, uh, for want of a better word. So I'll quote this for you. Uh, Nearly everything I've read in the world's literature describes profound misunderstanding of others. But when marriage of men and women to machines is complete, this literature will be redundant because we'll understand each other too well. The haiku, a clear perception and celebration of things as they are, will be the only necessary form. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, like sorry, go on. To, if you go back to, uh, I like my tech history, and if you go back to uh, Joseph Licklider, uh, back in the 40s and 50s, he talked about uh, symbiosis between computers and humans, and he was saying that symbiosis will be very cute, and we'll, 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 we'll have a very familiar relationship between ourselves and the computer devices around us, and they'll be quite an intimate personal relationship between ourselves and these assistants. Ah, interesting, which is quite different from that idea of post-humanism. I don't know if you've looked into that as well. Yeah, it basically said um, the, 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 the relationship between ourselves and the network devices uh, will, be, will uh, become a lot more uh, natural. Uh, we'll rely on them, uh, on these devices. Like, for instance, I'm a, um, a type 1 diabetic. I've been a type 1 diabetic now for about 40-odd years. Mm -hmm. And I'm connected to the internet uh, because I've got a sensor on my arm. And the sensor on the, my arm tells me my uh, blood sugars every five minutes. Mm -hmm. So my sensor on my arm speaks to my phone 
and my phone basically tells me if my sugars are going low or high. Uh, so, so basically, my device on my arm is connected to the internet, and uh, that service allows me to have a healthier life uh, and, and better control of my diabetes. So this is just another manifestation of uh, that close um, symbiotic relationship that we are going to have with our, with the machines around us. Yeah, and, and leading off from that, the, this next question isn't specifically about the Internet of Things because I wouldn't uh, expect you to know everything about, about this. Uh, I know uh, Jürgen Clark recently berated a, um, a reporter for asking him about, asking him about coronavirus. <laughs> but um, this kind of is about coronavirus. So... Um, I'm not asking you to, to sort of give me a, a sort of job interview type of answer here, obviously, but um, how do you imagine that uh, campus assistants like Ada could be helpful in the event of even just a, a snow week, never mind a pandemic, yeah. but when students can't actually make it into, into school or college? Uh, online services like Ada, uh, I think they performed uh, two basic uh, roles. Uh, one's around uh, uh, synchronous communication. That's basically me. You've got real-time uh, dialogue between you and the uh, institution uh, through, uh, through computers. And then the other one is asynchronous communication. That's basically uh, you post something and then you wait for a reply later on. And traditional learning management systems act in that role. So I think uh, ADA and other campus digital systems will allow students to post questions uh, uh, to ADA, uh, these digital systems, and they'll get an immediate response back. Uh, we've got ADA tied in with our learning management system, and uh, on a number of uh, online tutorials, students, uh, if they get stuck on a particular term or a phrase, can ask ADA a question about that term or phrase or definition, and ADA will uh, uh, provide a textual or uh, multimedia response back to them against that question. So. Even though the college is shut, the, uh, the lights are out, uh, Adrian and these assistants will answer on-demand uh, queries on behalf of all the teachers and support teams at the, at the college. Um, and also as well, when you're doing online learning um, and you're uh, composing a, um, an answer to an open-ended question, uh, services like FirstPass, which are affiliated to Adrian Digital Assistants, uh, will offer you uh, real-time feedback as you uh, compose your open-ended question. So even though the campus is closed, the teacher's not there, the service is uh, acting on behalf of the teacher to give you real-time feedback on, on the screen as you compose your answers. Mm, excellent. Yeah, and, and um, that another stupid question, uh, f forgive me, is um, something that every educator is always up against as technology advances, of course, and that's you know, why bother turning up to the lessons if the support and the feedback is so sophisticated online? Well, uh, campuses have always been uh, social institutions, um, as well as a place for learning and teaching. Uh, more uh, importantly, uh, they've been a very much of a, a social uh, space and a collaboration space. So uh, if you see campuses just as a, uh, uh, a place uh, just for teaching and learning, uh, you, you do miss out some of the more important things that take place on the campus. So you establish friendships, uh, you establish interests with like-minded people, and those interests uh, and, uh, inter uh, and so on uh, can lead to all sorts of things. And I think because of this um, 
because of these campuses are social, I think that these skills that students uh, develop whilst they're there um, are enhanced. And I think people still need a place to go to. I know people talk about virtual meeting spaces, and you've got an LMS. You could be you could be a student on one continent and another student on another. But I think there's still something still magical about being in the same place with a group of your fellow students in the same classroom or in the same campus, uh, because that's where you get to problem solve. That's where you get to question and, uh, and seek out answers. And that's where you get to have a bit of fun with your uh, fellow teachers and students. And uh, that's where you grow as a student, as a young adult. Yeah, and I think this really crystallises one of the, um, you know, the, the big issues, if you like, uh, of, of, sorry, why these are such exciting and scary times at the same time, because it seems like everybody's facing these existential uh, questions. So, for, for example, what are schools for? What are colleges for? What are universities for? What what's, uh, what's Fly B for? What, what's Toys R Us for? Um, and people, we used to go through our lives without having to answer these questions, didn't we? Or to actually justify them. Um, but I think they're, they're central to the you know, debate, if you like, this ambivalence that we have towards technology technology and um, but that's uh, that, that's great it's, it's nice that uh, you know that, that your students at Bolton will, will see college as, as a social place where they can grow as a person as you put it but, but it's interesting though um, as um, artificial intelligence or uh, cognitive services become uh, prevalent in the workplace or, 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 or in, out in society at large um, teachers uh, and uh, schools and colleges and universities do have a responsibility to guide uh, the youngsters uh, when they uh, leave campuses and start working and so on. Uh, because uh, you can imagine uh, uh, being taught, say, accountancy uh, as, a, as a student in a sixth form or a college or a uni. And then you realise that when you enter the workplace, there's software or there's AI platforms that do 90% of what you learnt as an accountant on the campus. So uh, what, does it, uh, what is it like to be an accountant uh, uh, when you're supporting your clients, when the AI does the bulk of the work that you previously envisaged? And I think uh, every um, institution needs to uh, reflect upon that and say, uh, how do we uh, teach, um, how do we uh, enable our students to be lifelong learners so that they can always adapt uh, to this new uh, AI environment when they go into the workplace. And, mm. it's, and it's crucial that our students become uh, lifelong learners because if they don't, they are going to struggle to uh, cope with this changing world where more and more uh, uh, of our jobs will be uh, uh, managed by um, agents or uh, or AI. Yeah, and it, it leads us to, to some really useful questions about well-being too because if, if we're saying to our students well, what are you actually good at here that can be quite good for the self-esteem content so for example as you said if, if you're an accountant well you're good at you need some soft skills don't you you, want, you need to reassure people that, that they can you know uh, get away with certain things and not have to pay certain things and, and you are providing a really valuable service and um, and that can be lost can't it when the ai is doing a great deal of the number crunching well yeah great yeah it's referred to as soft skills, but it is it is really a hard skill to learn to have mm. empathy with uh, uh, with people, with customers, uh, with with co-workers, and um, computers will. You know, some people will say we'll never ever get to that point, uh, 
Um, but people do uh, need to uh, understand that empathy is important, uh, the ability to solve problems is important. And um, I think society at large will probably think, well, there's there's a whole bunch of questions or problems or tasks that needs to be undertaken beyond being a simple accountant. And uh, there's challenges that we face at a national or global uh, level that need to be addressed. And I think if we teach uh, our students to um, be problem solvers, to be creatives, to be imaginative, uh, to be optimistic, then I think we've got a good chance of solving these national and international uh, problems that we face right now. Yeah, and, and, and thankfully, after the likes of us, our, our educators have these skills in abundance, don't they? So it, yeah. it's, you, make, you make me feel very good now. <laughs> Excellent. Finally, I think uh, I want to talk about this event that we're both speaking at uh, in London in uh, next month in, in April uh, called the e-assessment uh, conference. So my, I've been told that my job there is, is to be a, um, um, the, the warm-up act for the gala dinner. Uh, so take from that what, what you will. Uh, but um, I'm sort of at the, the keynote at the end of the day. But you'll be talking, what will you be talking about specifically there? Uh, formative assessment. Uh, at College, uh, we've um, uh, we've been on a journey for the last eighteen months. Uh, we've been creating a new service called First Pass. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, First Pass uh, is basically uh, a, a new t digital tool that we're creating um, uh, that will support students and teachers with the formative assessment process. So. Um, Right now, for a teacher on a, uh, a learning management system or an online platform, uh, they can typically pose close questions to a student. So uh, uh, it's like a multiple choice question or yes, no questions or drag and drop questions. And those have been the tools now for well over 20 years uh, 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 for an online platform. But uh, it's quite, even though they're important, uh, it's still a very narrow way to assess your students. And um, in the classroom, uh, most te teachers uh, pose open-ended questions to their students. And what we wanted to do is, could we actually emulate that online? And can we help a teacher to pose an open-ended question to their students uh, on the computer and get the computer to immediate um, uh, that uh, piece of assessment by providing the student with real-time feedback as the student answered that question? So. You may get questions like, um, "Who's the prime minister of the, uh, the uh, of the UK?" and someone could say uh, Boris Johnson, and that could be trained uh, very easily in, in a matter of minutes. Other questions could be, um, "What are the um, um, what what are called, What are the symptoms of high blood pressure?" Uh, and a nursing student could answer with a few sentences or a paragraph in length. And another question could be. Uh, how do you mitigate uh, against high blood pressure? And the student could write out about uh, learn for about that. And they could talk about lifestyles, the environment, uh, income for the family, exercise, and so on and so forth. And we're trying to teach a computer to uh, support the student and the teacher uh, with this uh, formative assessment exercise. And uh, we're using a, a, a natural language classification models. So basically, we classify uh, what the student and the teacher is, is, is saying on the screen. So if, for instance, if you said, um, uh, how do you mitigate against high blood pressure? 
you could say there's a whole bunch of uh, answers that relate to exercise. There's a whole bunch of answers that relate to environment. There's another bunch of answers that relate to healthy eating. So um, what we do is uh, we help the teacher train the models up. And then when the models are being created and those training data are being added to the model, uh, the computer's in a, a good place to support that student. And what we hope to achieve is with real-time feedback, can the student write in a more informed way? Um, can the uh, uh, student uh, write uh, with higher quality? And the student uh, doesn't have to uh, submit their answers time and time again to the teacher before getting the correct answer. And, uh, and hopefully, we're trying to support the student to be more of an independent learner. So um, they're not having to um, go, uh, struggle and go back to the teacher and to elicit more information and advice. Uh, we're saying the computer on, beh on behalf of the teacher will give that student feedback and the student can reflect upon it, make corrections, no one will see his or her errors, and uh, the student can amend the answers uh, before submitting it to the teacher. Mm. So, so just to give you an annoying role play after, if because obviously I'd, I'd be interested for things like English literature. So, what about these more nuanced subjective questions? Uh, so, um, if the question was, say, "Do Romeo and Juliet get what they deserve?" and I provided some kind of answer to that, would would um, first pass be able to assist me with that? That's going to be harder, mm. um, uh, but I will say. Um, First pass for some of these questions is not well suited, um, but you may but you may well say that an English teacher uh, who poses that question will say, time and time again in over the last few years, uh, these are the things that students always say, or in my yeah. mock in my mark scheme uh, for that particular the, the rubric for that particular question is is is, is set in stone, and uh, if it's if it is uh, reasonably fixed and constrained, then the teacher could pause it, but the error rate for the model will be higher, and yeah. the um, answers that are uh, written by the student that the model doesn't quite uh, get. Uh, so, so for now, um, the first pass service and natural language classifiers uh, are more suited towards answers that are, are more finite. Uh, but over a period of time, I can see these um, services uh, being more accurate as more and more student data is added to the models. Yeah, and I can, I can see I can see this as being a more sophisticated word cloud to, 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 you know, for the for the, sorry for 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 English literature and more subjective uh, answers that you know that what it's a good starting point and then you can you can use that to help develop these high order thinking uh, skills and writing skills and autonomy. Well, some of the questions could be like, for instance, why is Macbeth a tragedy? Mm. Um, and there, there is a, um, even though the range of responses is quite large, you can still create a model uh, um, using natural, class natural language classification that can support the uh, teacher and student in that formative assessment task. Mm. Um, I also think that eventually um, uh, these natural language classification models could also support uh, summative assessment as well. Um, but I think uh, we're some way away from that, yeah. But I think in some instances, we could actually run that in the next year or two, potentially. Like, for instance, uh, if you say uh, what leads to high blood pressure, what leads to low blood pressure, 
uh, what are the environmental factors that cause uh, high blood pressure, uh, then I think the questions and answers like that could be trained uh, quite readily on a computer. And I think exam boards, awarding bodies, could quite easily uh, use that as part of the summative assessment process. Yeah, and isn't it great that we'll have people from exam boards and policymakers, you know, people from the DfE, for example, at this conference um, in yeah. London in, in April. So I look forward to um, being part of that debate. But that's, but that's interesting, though, because um, um, if these if computer-mediated assessment is uh, becomes common in the near future, then it, it does turn assessment on its head. For instance, um, right now for many, many centuries or uh, decades, uh, Assessment has typically been at the end of the unit or the end of the academic year in the summer. And that cycle could be broken through, through uh, computer-mediated assessment. Um, with computer-mediated assessment, you're, uh, you could do an exam at any time of the year. Um, if the bulk of the assessment is done uh, during the end of the academic year in April or May or June, uh, uh, the results uh, that the students get could uh, well be given to them earlier and uh, well in advance of, uh, of July. So uh, students can sit at exam in May or June, get the results by the end of June, and they don't have to wait till July or August before the results come out. So uh, with, with UCAS, with college entrance uh, um, requirements, with students moving from school to school, all of that could be uh, uh, made a lot easier and, uh, and the anxiety, anxiety levels could be reduced. But also for the awarding bodies, the exam boards, the overheads associated with running those exams could be uh, reduced significantly because computers will do the bulk of the um, summative assessment for, for these awarding bodies and hopefully some of those cost savings could be passed on to the uh, schools and colleges. Yeah, and that's that's one of those existential uh, issues for exam boards as private companies, of course. They they will have to change their model entirely, won't they? Because it, it, it's fair to say that the way that they're existing at the moment is a bit like a sort of 2020 Tesla car, the exterior and interior, but with a 1950s Morris Minor engine. You know, kids are, are taking these exams in, in exactly the same as, as they have done for 50 years, 60 years, and they're being marked online um by teachers um by by, um, by examiners and these are you know, basically things that have been scanned into a computer it, it's bizarre isn't it yeah yeah so um even the way you assess uh, the accuracy levels could be higher than uh, an examiner marking it for instance uh, you could have a, a 100 scripts in front of you on a sunday uh, you start off well on a sunday morning and uh, uh, you're grading uh, with confidence but by four o'clock, five o'clock in the evening, you're flagging a bit. And I can imagine uh, multiple examiners up and down the country in, in this particular scenario. And you could end up with a high degree of variation in uh, marking. And people may, people may not uh, follow the rubric uh, to the letter. And some people could inflate grades. Some people could uh, have a lowered uh, grade average when they're marking. But with computers, um, and the services like first pass, you could uh, start to standardise the the assessment and the feedback that's given to the students. So that could help. Um, yeah, and of course, a little voice could say, "Wake up, Aftab! You've marked four hundred exam papers. You're very tired." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I know what you mean. Yeah, and also you could get the, you could flag it up if a person is still marking or grading. Um, the computers could say these examiners are inflating the grades. 
these are examiners are really hard markers and they're uh, grading well below the average. So uh, you can end up uh, using computers uh, in all sorts of ways in this scenario. But I've got a funny feeling for open-ended questions uh, that have a finite set of answers against them. It's inevitable in the next few years those will be mediated by a computer. Like, for instance, in uh, uh, Wales recently, their uh, uh, Department for Education has said that they want to digitise uh, um, their exam processes. And that could well be, here's the digital exam, here's a form with questions, fill in the blanks, uh, fill in the uh, text boxes and hit submit. Or they could say, and then have that marked by a person. Or they could say, fill in the, uh, uh, answer the questions, fill in the uh, boxes, hit submit, and the computer will mark 80% of that paper. Um, and then have those uh, marks moderated by uh, a small group of examiners for Wales. And it'd be interesting how the Department for Education of Wales takes the, this challenge up. I know they're consulting right now, so I, I wouldn't mind uh, having a chat with them in the near future about how services like First Pass and natural language classification could be uh, used by, by the uh, department. Yeah, we'd like, to, we'd like to think that it would make things a bit more equitable uh, and democratic, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. And um, this problem is universal. Like, we've got it in the UK, but every other country across the world has got this problem. Um, IBM research in the UK are helping, out, helping us out with this problem. And they're helping us with the, um, uh, the, the, the whole notion of context and grammar within these models. And the, they jumped at this problem because they said, it's a wonderful one because it's a problem that every teacher uh, has around the world and they love uh, having this as a challenge. Uh, they're only based in Warrington at the Hartree Centre and um, they couldn't believe this luck. Well, they couldn't believe the luck when we came up with them and we said, guys, do you fancy this one as a research project? And they said, yes, we would love to help out. Wonderful. Isn't it great that so many great things are going on in technology, in edtech, in the northwest of England? It, it, it's, uh, it's so good to hear. Uh, apologies, apologies to people who are from outside the northwest of England, uh, which is the majority of our audience, of course. Um, thank you so much, Aftab. I could talk for hours. Uh, I'm really looking forward to physically actually meeting you in London, um, in, inshallah, and all of that in, uh, in April. Um, and I'm really, really... Uh, really really grateful for you not just appearing on this but uh, but um, talking so insightfully so thank you so much if you stay on the line for uh, a couple of seconds uh, we'll wrap it all up but uh, thanks again okay, thank you Peter thanks for having me on today pleasure wasn't that good thank you very much for listening to EdTech Innovators and we'll look forward to seeing you next week until then, see you later.